What is shaking, everybody? Welcome back to uh, the program. Um, on this week's episode, I am talking with friend Brett Hochstein, uh, a golf course architect and designer, to discuss an article that he wrote uh, last year for us about the life and legacy of Jack Fleming, one of the uh, most prominent golf course architects that worked throughout Northern California, uh, mostly in the mid-20th century, but for a man that uh, has you know, had such a huge impact on the landscape of golf uh, in Northern California, not much is, is known about Jack. So uh, Brett did us a huge solid and uh, researched uh, everything he could find on Jack Fleming, uh, presented his findings in a, in a story that he wrote for Pacific Coast Golf Guide, and now we are finally getting together uh, in audio form uh, to discuss his article and, and talk a little bit about the life uh, and the man that is Jack Fleming. So uh, before we get to that interview with Brett, I just wanted to remind you guys that uh, Volume 23 of Pacific Coast Golf Guide is out now. However, it's not available at the uh, you know 1,400 golf courses that we normally uh, allow it to be available at. So if you want to get your hands on a copy of the newest magazine, uh, I invite you guys to go to golfguide.net. And if you go to Info and Products uh, from the top menu, you will find a COVID-19 uh, relief fund that we've set up where with a $5 donation that uh, all the net proceeds are going to go to Glen Eagles Golf Course in San Francisco, and the Bannon Caddy Relief Fund. Uh, if we're making a small little donation like that, we will go ahead in turn and send you guys a brand new copy of Volume 23 of Pacific Coast Golf Guide. I also want to mention that in this podcast, Brett and I do discuss Glen Eagles at length. It is a Jack Fleming design, um, you know, and I think we have a little bit of a call to action in there, um, saying the same thing that we're you know hoping people donate. But about an hour or two after we finished recording, uh, the owner and proprietor of uh, Glen Eagles uh, came out with a status update letting us know that the city of San Francisco was allowing golf courses to reopen. So um, I, I think in the podcast we weren't 100% sure when golf in the Bay Area would be allowed to reopen. And then, you know, we got a little clarity about a, an hour after we hit, you know, <laughs> hit the stop recording button. So um, if Glen Eagles is okay and they are no longer going to be accepting funds, then whatever funds that we still receive, we will just go ahead and send those to the Bandon caddy relief fund so if you do make a donation and come through and uh and spend the five bucks uh to get a magazine to make a donation rest assured uh we will make sure that it goes to a good cause so with that no more messing around let's get to brett here on another delightful and savory episode of highly technical golf talk oh oh shit Fuck. Shit. These are highly technical golf terms. You'll use them on your very first lesson. All right. Golf fans, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the program. I am delighted uh, to have a friend of mine on the podcast who uh, has been on the show before, but it is, as we found out uh, talking before we started recording, it's actually been more than a couple of years uh, since friend, uh, architect, designer, and principal of Hochstein Design, uh, Brett Hochstein, came on the podcast, but he's back. And uh, Brett, w- what a pleasure it is, my friend. It's great to be back. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, Again, I-, I couldn't believe when you told me that it had been since January of 2018 that we had gotten together to, to go play Northwood and-, and record a podcast. I was like, that is... That's too long. A lot of stuff's been going on, and uh, how, we are going to eventually uh, have a conversation that we'll release in another podcast about everything you've been doing the last couple of years. But for this podcast specifically, um, this is one we've had kind of been circling, you know, on the calendar and, and trying to put together for a while. But I wanted to finally get a chance to talk to you about 
um, a story that you wrote for Pacific Coast Golf Guide last year uh, about a gentleman by the name of Jack Fleming, who is an architect that whose work is most prominently featured throughout Northern California. And as Northern California residents, I obviously were exposed to Jack Fleming golf quite a bit more than anybody else would be. Um, but you did a bang up job, man, putting this together. It was some, it was a super informative story, just kind of about the background of a guy whose golf courses I've played over and over and over again, and yet didn't really know much about the guy. And so when I tasked you, uh, with maybe discovering a little bit more about his background and what led to him being in Northern California, what his story is, what's, you know, some of the, you know, the rationale between, you know, behind his designs and how he did things. And you, uh, you delivered in spades, man. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, uh, you know, like yourself, I was pretty curious about learning some more about uh, Jack Fleming. Uh, you know, one, because of the proliferation of courses that he has in the area that you mentioned. Um, uh, but really the biggest thing was his connection to Alistair McKenzie, who might be my favorite architect of all time. Uh, you know, he was actually one of you know mckenzie's field guys uh protege if you will um he worked uh on out at the meadow club mm-hmm. was his first uh california design uh, well mckenzie's design yeah mckenzie's is. design but uh, yeah but he but i mean it, from the, your article you know obviously it, it's pretty apparent that jack fleming was very involved uh in pretty much all of mckenzie's northern california designs unless i'm mistaken for the most part, yeah. Um, you know, working mostly as kind of uh, the paymaster and uh, foreman of uh, construction. Uh, you know, the sort of uh, more you know practical engineering side of things uh, versus the you know creativity and design side of things. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's really interesting because you know, you hear that he's a protege of Dr. McKenzie, but then as you obviously mentioned in your article and you know as you're playing the golf courses stylistically you kind of you know you can tell that uh jack fleming's work isn't necessarily you know work from the golden age golden age and that it doesn't necessarily feel that way but he is a protege of dr mckenzie but most of you know his work took place what 15 20 years after dr mckenzie passed away uh yeah that's right and uh you know that sort of disconnect uh that you mentioned is another real big reason that I wanted to dive in and try and learn some more. Uh, cause that, that's pretty inherently fascinating to me. Uh, just in general, like the, the golden age to what was kind of, you know, being built after world war two. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a general disconnect in, in, in that stylistically, but, in particular, Fleming had a direct connection to Mackenzie and that period. So I wanted to figure out maybe a bit more why, you know, he kind of fell in line with you know, that period versus kind of sticking more with his uh, his former boss. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. So before we kind of dive into all of the, the differences and kind of trying to parse what uh, Fleming picked up from Dr. McKenzie and, and obviously implemented in his own designs um i i'm kind of just going to sort of paraphrase a little bit of your your story here just to kind of give the listeners a little bit of a a background on who jack fleming was um and then you know i'll just uh, read a little bit and then if you want to jump in and add any other notes or something like that 
um, whether it be just something that you found out or maybe something you had learned during your research that maybe wasn't included in the article. So free, feel free to jump in at, uh, at any time, my friend. Um, and so for those listening, Jack Fleming uh, was born late 19th century in uh, Galway, Ireland. Uh, as we were noting before we started recording, a somewhat remote um, you know, locale on the Irish coast, I think on the uh, west coast of Ireland. Um, didn't get a lot of pub until Ed Sheeran put it back on the map with a, a real a top 40 hit uh, a few years back. Um, and then I think he, at some point, uh, around 18 years old, he moved to Dublin to take classes in landscaping and civil engineering. Uh, not really to have anything to do with golf. I think he was hoping to manage the grounds of a, a wealthy Englishman or something like that one day. That, I think that was the rationale behind uh, him going to school. And then um, when he was working on a city project in Manchester, England, as a timekeeper, um, he met Dr. Alistair McKenzie, who was working on a golf course on that same project uh, simultaneously, and bam, all of a sudden a friendship began, and that actually was kind of the start to a partnership that uh, seemingly lasted for quite some time after that. Um, anything else to add there? No, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, it was over a game of darts uh, at a pub, if, hmm. <laughs> which is kind of interesting. No, it's, it's kind of, I mean, <laughs> I wonder what 18-year-old Jack Fleming, what, what, what McKenzie saw in him that was like, yep, this is the guy that I want to be stuck on a boat with for weeks and weeks and weeks while we travel to California. Yeah, in particular, somebody who didn't really know anything about golf and had no intention of really having a career in golf. Hmm. I want, do you think there's any possibility that McKenzie liked the fact that Fleming didn't have a background in golf and that he saw it maybe as an opportunity to kind of just shape this guy's thoughts on golf and that he wouldn't maybe he wouldn't be getting as much pushback I I don't know so some I, I, some people would yeah there might be something to that hmm. yeah it's it, 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 it's a curious thought exercise um so after uh meeting in Manchester England uh Fleming began as a clerical worker uh in the McKenzie firm uh and then eventually in 1926 uh Alistair McKenzie was commissioned and took off to do his first uh, design, his first golf course in the United States, which of course is the Meadow Club in Marin County here in California. I think uh, on that Meadow Club project, uh, you know, Fleming secured a visa, but ended up just staying so long with different projects that he ended up just becoming a, a U.S. citizen. Um, and you know, what started at Meadow Club turned into him helping Alistair McKenzie at some different projects. Uh, Brett, I. You're in golf design, so maybe you've heard of these, um, but there's these courses. Let me see. Read them off. Pasa Tiempo, <laughs> Cyprus Point, uh, the Valley. I don't know. Are, are these are these well-known golf courses? Uh, I would say they are okay. for the most part. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, man, it's just it's crazy that this guy, you know, out of nowhere, you know, for, for all of us that are just huge golf design, you know, nerds and dorks and guys that really love to follow this. I mean, can you imagine just randomly stumbling to this guy at 18 years old, and before you know it, you're out with him just building some of the most iconic, beautiful, uh, revered golf courses in all the Western United States? I mean, what a what a turnaround for for Mr. Fleming. Yeah, I think it was a, a fortunate meeting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty pretty wild stuff. Um, yeah, and th I guess uh, the, the one article or the one paragraph in here that I thought was uh, pretty fascinating because just the, the names that are included. Uh, I'm just actually going to read this one verbatim here. Uh, Fleming shared this exciting and critical period of golf course development with other important figures and luminaries associated with Dr. McKenzie. They would include Bobby Jones, Marion Hollins, Robert Hunter, H. Chandler Egan, and Patty Cole, the Irish artisan responsible 
for finishing Cypress Point's bunkers. And Cole continued to work with Fleming into the 1960s. Let's keep that one in mind here. I'm going to keep reading. In 1932, the effects of the Depression were starting to be felt in California. And coincidentally, John McLaren, who is referred to as the father of Golden Gate Park and head of the San Francisco City Parks Department, offered Fleming a head greenskeeping job for the San Francisco City courses, which included the newly finished Sharp Park in Pacifica. At McKenzie's urging, Fleming accepted the position and held it for the next 31 years, always striving simultaneously for better turf glass and lower maintenance costs. Uh, that's where I'll stop reading. Um, it's pretty interesting because that's right before McKenzie goes to design Augusta National, and it's just a couple years before he passes away. Do you think McKenzie sensed that he might be coming towards the end of his career and wanted to make sure, you know, Jack Fleming kind of had had something locked. I I, don't, I wonder what the rationale was for a guy that he seemingly worked so well with to tell him to stick around and, and just stay in San Francisco. Um, I don't know. Do, do you have any thoughts on that, or did you learn anything else, any, any other context for that when you're doing research for your article? I would say that has yeah you know, more to do with McKenzie seeing the writing on the wall with the uh, economy at the time, and mm. and you know, versus you know, necessarily his own career. I don't think he saw him himself falling ill or. Uh, you know, necessarily stopping anytime soon, but okay. Uh, you know, besides the economy holding him back, uh, I think it was mostly about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just uh, you know, we'll we'll get to it a little bit later. But having seen the name Jack Fleming everywhere, you kind of I, I didn't I never knew that he was the man in charge of uh, of all the golf you know all the golf courses and everything like that uh, with the San Francisco Parks Department for you know three plus decades. It's yeah, really, exactly. Yeah, it's wild. One of his biggest contributions to to golf. Yeah, yeah, it's really wild. Um, and then you know, obviously he did a little bit of work, uh, you know, in terms of golf design from the time he took over, uh, in the early '30s. But as you mentioned in your article, Brett, um, it wouldn't be until the 1950s, uh, that Jack Fleming's design career would really take off. And I think you said that between 1950 and 1967, Jack Fleming designed and built 36 golf courses. Uh, and then did two more after that, which a large majority of which were located in Northern California. Um, he, he's kind of like the Northern California golf architect. I mean, not non Alistair McKenzie division. Yeah, I mean, he he very much was a, a, a regional architect, and you know, a funny thing is, like, uh, yeah, I, I had some access to uh, some like family powerpoints and uh, things where they talk about. Uh, driving off to such far away places as, as like, uh, you know, Santa Rosa and you know, <laughs> Sacramento. And it's like, these are just like little, you know, car day trips. Yeah, right. it's, not, <laughs> it's not that far away compared to, you know, what some golf architects are doing. I mean, Mackenzie himself was going to Australia and, uh, you know, he's from England originally worked a lot in California. He's going back across to Augusta and, yeah, it's, yeah, he's all over the place. Now, out of curiosity, yeah. when you were um, when you were getting access to some of the uh, Fleming family stuff, like the slideshows, where where did Jack Fleming make his home? Was was it in San Francisco? Since that's where he was, I'm assuming he was working. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, okay. Just yeah, in the in the Bay Area, uh, a sojourn of 55 miles north to the, the yeah. great state of Santa Rosa. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, and then, uh, obviously, you mentioned, you know, the, the rest of the article is kind of talking a little bit about some of his various works, which we'll get into here. Uh, but then kind of finished it out with, you know, it's, uh, let me see here. 
uh, sorry, sorry, buddy. You know, reading on a podcast is is a surefire way to really disengage listeners. So I'll I'll, I'll jump back in here. But <laughs> uh, at the end of it, you kind of you know cap it off by saying Jack Fleming, by all accounts, was a good man, passionate about his work, and full of energy. Uh, a lot of times, his you know his projects had uh, the vibe of a guy's going off on a fishing trip. You know, according to his son. Um, and then you you finished out with a quote from Jack Fleming, and I'm going to read that one verbatim here. Quote. Dr. McKenzie and I both believe that golf courses should be designed with two things in mind. First, that every shot should be laid out so that the golfer must use his head and think. And second, the architect should make use of the terrain upon which the course is built. Uh, end quote. Um, I, I'd say those are two pretty good tenets to, to base your design curve. I, I can't imagine that you, in, in your work, Brett, really would disagree with that, yeah? Um, no, I, I, I would not disagree with that. Let's get out there, golf course, make you think. And, uh, by the way, just make, make use of the land. Uh, uh, no duh. Yeah. That, that, that seems. Yeah. Pretty... I mean, and if you, if you just make use of the land, uh, oftentimes it's just going to you know, naturally organically present those questions and, uh, strategic issues that, that will make you think. Sure. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's that inherent variety in the landscape that uh, that will make your job as an architect much easier. Yep, for sure. So I, I will say this: before reading your article, um, Brett, I, I I had Googled Jack Fleming various times, you know, trying to learn a little bit about him, and it was it was tough uh, to find much. So the fact that you were able to provide um, readers with as much background information about Jack Fleming as you did I, was really awesome. And I just kind of wanted to ask, how, how did you go about finding a lot of this uh, information that wasn't really publicly available before, uh, before putting this article together? So my first thing is always reaching out to some of the historians I know, uh, like uh, Tommy Nakarano from you know, down south L.A., uh, Sean Tully, you know, our own Sean Tully mm-hmm. in Bay Area Meadow Club. Uh, you know, see what they have. Um, surprisingly, they didn't have that much stuff either. Uh, totally was able to send a, a couple articles. And uh, really the big thing that I was able to get my hands on was a speech given by his son, John Fleming, uh, to the Alistair McKenzie Society huh. back in the late 90s, I believe. Interesting. That, that provided a, a lot of kind of background and insight with the, some funny anecdotes as well. Okay. Um, in addition to that, uh, uh, Tom Shea at One Eagles was able to put me in touch with his uh, grandson who, who frequents there, uh, John Walsh. Okay. Uh, I talked to him a bit, and he led me to his uh, aunt, uh, uh, Maureen Woods, who is Jack's uh, daughter. And she's kind of acts as the family historian. So I was able to get some information and have some conversations with her. Uh, it's, awesome. uh, it's like a Jack Fleming yeah, scavenger hunt. That's pretty much kind of what it was. And yeah, I had to really go to the direct source, the, the family. Unfortunately, yeah. his, his son, John, who, who gave that speech, is no longer uh, with us, but he would have been the perfect resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is kind of crazy to think about that this uh, that Jack Fleming, obviously designing golf courses in the 50s and 60s, it, it doesn't sound like it's that, uh, that long ago, but it, you know, if Jack Fleming somehow was still alive, I mean, the guy would be 120 something years old now, which is <laughs> yeah, which is kind of wild. So, yeah, you, even his 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 children, his grandchildren, probably are, are are up there in age as well. So, um, yeah, really, really wild. Did, did you think? Did you find it to be 
were the people that you were asking for help with this pretty excited uh, about you trying to learn more about Jack Fleming, or was it more of a, hmm, what, 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 why? I, I no, know. absolutely. They were okay. they were very enthused, and uh, that was one of the things that you know I, I kind of enjoyed the most about the process, and uh, you know made me feel good about Jack Fleming at least you know as a uh, you know as a man. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were very very fond of him. Uh, very excited and just all the stuff that they put together. Yeah. Uh, his, his 90th birthday party looked like an absolute blast. Uh, nice. good, really, good for him. There's a, there's a really, uh, awesome photo of him like dancing at it. And so he, he still had a lot of energy at that, at that point in his life. Good for him. He's just, just uh, crushing it. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, that, that is fantastic. Um, did you, I guess, you know, with all the stuff going on, I mean, did you, I don't know. It, I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but I mean, yeah. what, what, what kind of surprised you the most as you were learning more about Jack Fleming? I mean, were there any things about his career or any, you know, items specifically about his golf courses that kind of really shocked you or you're kind of like, man, that is not what I was expecting. Uh, yeah, I guess I would say that, uh, cause I, I, yeah, the, enough, the, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let me cut you off there. I guess, I guess like the bits, uh, you know, that I was hoping to find, um, kind of didn't, uh, quite come to fruition. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that I was hoping to find more connection, you know, um, and, and, you know, in his principles to, to McKenzie. Mm-hmm. And I kind of found maybe a bit, uh, maybe a bit of the opposite. Um, I, I think the one thing that really stood out the most was his fondness for trees on golf courses. He was really fond of trees. Uh, yeah, it is kind of odd. That does seem to be a very consistent theme on all of his golf courses that you get to play today. Yeah, it, it very much is. Uh, you know, like it, a lot of McKenzie courses are kind of known for their width, and it, you you look at the old photos of them and you don't really see tree plantings. Uh, you see some holes that kind of cleverly use trees like the, uh, 17th at Cypress point, but, um, you know, he, he never really championed them and, and he didn't necessarily like rail against them, like say Donald Ross, but, uh, he didn't really champion them either hmm. while, you know, Fleming himself did. Uh, he, you know, some of his first work right after leaving McKenzie was uh, at Harding Park, and through the you know WPA, uh, helped plant you know maybe thousands of cypress trees or transplant uh, thousands of cypress trees into the corridors of the golf course, which are still you know largely there today. Yeah, um, it's very interesting. Yeah. The, the 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 2020 you know uh, kind of you know golf architecture, you know, the woke side of the golf architecture community without, you know, being condescending towards us, uh, is it's like, you know, tr- trees are just like viewed as such a, such a faux pas now that get every single, it, it seems like almost every single person who follows this stuff like you and I do is more or less in favor of tree removal and opening up sight lines and, and things like that. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. It just, it, it, it baffles me that somebody connected with someone like McKenzie and on top of that, that, that's what's crazy is the other names that you had mentioned in your article, the, the Chandler Egan, the Robert Hunters. Um, it seems like a lot of Jack Fleming's work isn't necessarily aligned with anybody's. I mean, obviously, we're talking about how he had some different principles as McKenzie, and he liked trees, and his playing corridors are a little bit more narrow. But 
Uh, did you notice any similarities if you tried to look at Jack Fleming's work compared to maybe something like a Chandler Egan or a Robert Hunter? Uh, not, not really. Um, I would say his own man. Kind of. I I think he was, I think there were some inherent differences, you know, we could talk about, you know, with the the trees and all that. And, um, I think, you know, when he finally got to doing his own stuff, um, you know, in the fifties, things had just kind of changed in general. And there's, I think there's just a different appetite and, um, yeah, there's there's some different theories on that. Uh, you know, aligning with just society in general sure. and just having you know post-war, just wanting to go in a different direction with things. So if it's either that, if it's consciously, or if it's just that you know there's a big enough gap in time that things were forgotten from the golden age. Uh, uh, the bottom line is that you know things were were different. Yeah. Well, let, let's just jump right into that, because I think that is one of the most interesting things about this is for somebody that more or less learned this industry from a McKenzie, that his work is in large part very, you know, the contrast between McKenzie's work and many of the courses that Jack Fleming built are pretty obvious, even to somebody that doesn't follow design and architecture. Um, it, you know, I don't think anybody would confuse, you know, the Santa Rosa Golf and Country Club with uh Past tempo, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, there's just not that much similar uh, in the design of the two golf courses. So um, now, and none of this is to say this is not meant to be, you know, a, a dig on Jack Fleming. I think anybody compared to Dr. Alistair McKenzie is is competing for second place, and I think that's that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I guess the first question is, you mentioned that because he did a lot of his design work in the '50s and '60s, it sounds to me like your assumption is that when it finally came time for Jack Fleming to um, start building golf courses in mass that he decided to adapt to what was people or I guess what developers and people were kind of seeking from golf courses at that time as opposed to what he had learned 20 and 30 years prior with Dr. Alistair McKenzie does, does that seem like that adds up to you I would think so and you know a lot of this is just theorizing you know one of the you know great I, I guess uh kind of disappointments in all this research is that I didn't get some of the hard information or anecdotes of, you know, his real core design principles and beliefs and, mm-hmm. uh, or anything that he said, you know, relating to, to, to McKenzie. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm just kind of speculating, trying to connect the dots, but I would say, yeah, I, that's, that's one theory is saying that, you know, he was just kind of going with, the tastes and principles of the time. Um, you know, to his credit, though, you know, one of the things that he did retain was his adherence to the land and and using like the natural landform. You know, he has a great quote about uh, uh, Sierra View, which is uh, of, of the courses I've seen of his, probably is the best property, best yes. natural property that I would he agree. has worked on. Uh, it's just got these, you know. Perfect Beautiful golf scale. Oh, it's yeah. it's fantastic. Just golf scale types of you know little hills and, and and ground movements that is really pretty rare in California. It reminds me a lot more of like where I grew up in uh, in the Midwest and Southeast Michigan, where we just had these kind of you know choppy you know sort of little glacial you know hills and undulations you know, like like Oakland Hills or, or Franklin Hills, those types of places. Um, 
and you know he just he weighed out the the holes pretty simply um and you know didn't there's not a lot of evidence of major earth movement and that's that's a good credit to him uh yeah, i have the quote in the in the article there i've, I've got it right here if you want me to read here? to you yeah okay uh, Fleming said of Sierra View, quote, I left everything as it was and added a little grass. The hills were just right, and I didn't have to cut down a single tree. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And he goes back to the trees, too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you think he, he may not have cut any down, but do you think he planted any extra trees when he was building? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I heard uh, you know, from one of the members there that there there is an area that I haven't gotten my... Uh, haven't been able to find it yet, uh, but I'm, I'm very keen to, to see what it looked like just after opening. If there are a ton of trees planted or not, uh, it's a, the, the, the scene is just is perfect. It's just like savannah of all these, you know, smaller scale hills and dotted by valley oaks and mm-hmm. you know some live oaks here and there, and just just perfect. It's it's a but very it's very a, cool golf course. Uh, at least now the- it's. Hidden, hidden largely by redwoods and all sorts of other trees that have been planted over time. And <laughs> how much of that was Fleming? I don't. I'm not sure, but I do know that uh, he intentionally put every green very near an oak tree, which hmm. is interesting in that it, it kind of goes against some of his greenkeeping background because it, you know the oak trees cause issues with uh, with the uh, you know the tree roots can get into the greens and dry it out. And it, there's shade issues as well, uh, mm-hmm. airflow issues. And, but, uh, he really liked it. Uh, some of them it's, it, it's cool. Uh, the way that the greens kind of you know, play up close to these trees and it makes for an interesting experience, but other times it gets in the way and you know, causes agronomic issues. So I found that pretty interesting. Uh, that's really fascinating. I had not uh, I had not heard that before. So, yeah. um, before we continue with this kind of exercise in terms of you know trying to analyze some of his you know his career work and comparing and contrasting it to someone like a McKenzie, uh, let's just quickly go over a couple of the other uh, notable uh, original Jack Fleming designs. You had already mentioned uh, Sierra View, which is in Roseville, kind of in a, a Sacramento suburb uh, in the Bay Area. Some of his most notable work. Uh, you know, obviously, as you know, working in the Parks Department, some of his most notable work, as you mentioned, includes uh, Harding Park. Uh, he also is the architect of the nine-hole course inside of the Harding Park Complex, which is now known as the Fleming Nine. Uh, he also designed, as you mentioned, Santa Rosa Golf and Country Club. Uh, I think, where is it? Sharon Heights Golf and Country Club down in Menlo Park. Uh, he built the nine-hole golf course up at the Meadowood Resort in St. Helena. Uh, and then... Uh, let's see, Napa Municipal Golf Course, uh, Golden Gate Park Golf Course in, in San Francisco. And then I think you and I could probably both agree that probably our both of our favorite golf courses he designed is Glen Eagles Golf Course uh, at McLaren Park in, down in San Francisco as well, which uh, you do mention you know, in great detail uh, at the end of your article how, in your opinion, that's probably, of the designs of his that you've seen, is probably most reminiscent of something that you could envision Dr. McKenzie doing. Uh, do you, you mind kind of, uh, uh, you know, expanding on that a little bit? Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously very, very big fan of Glenn Eagles. Yeah, and uh, also feel and, free to share about your, your background and kind of your involvement with Glenn Eagles as well. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, obviously yeah, big fan of Glenn Eagles. Uh, known it uh, since I, I moved out West, uh, 10 years ago, 
uh, worked there a little bit as an intern uh, that first winter I lived in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm coming on, you know, I wish I played it more often, but I live way out in the East Bay and it's hardly even local anymore with traffic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's like East Bay into South San Francisco, not, yeah, not, it, not a short commute. Yeah, it's like a three hour commute to yeah, right. you know, go play nine holes. <laughs> if I go, I, uh, I make sure I do a couple of loops and, you know, hang out at the bar afterwards for a oh, while. And by the way, everybody out there, incredible bar. I mean, almost as good it's, as a golf course. It's 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 like my favorite water yeah, hole in the city. It it, it might be the best yeah. hangout in golf. Absolutely, it, it's great. Um, but yeah, no, the golf course is really good. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, the two things of any golf course that really make it stand out are the routing and the greens, and the routing at when Eagles really uses the, you know, tilted land quite well. Yeah. I mean, as far as golf courses go, I mean, is, is that about as extreme uh, of a piece of property in terms of the, the elevation change and, and the size that you, that you've seen? Uh, not quite as extreme. I mean, you got Claremont right across the, the, the bay that mm. it's back nine plays across something you know, way steeper. It's, yeah, you know, a couple of those holes are just benched and narrow, and yeah, they're quite uh, quite wacky. Gotcha. Okay, I, I, <laughs> quirky, I, I, wacky I, in a weird way, but yeah, you know, it is the Glen Eagle site is pretty. Uh, yeah, it, it it's pretty tilted, mm-hmm. and even more so than the eye would lead you. Like, there's actually about almost 150 feet of elevation change from wow. like where the first tee and clubhouse is down to that far corner. Where uh, I think it's number three well, green. Or where the like where, that, yeah, right? where the where the fourth tee is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is, I mean, that's only it's a fifteen-story building. Yeah, that's crazy. It's only it's only about six hundred yards away, if that. Mm-hmm. You know, from yeah. So it's 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 significant. Yeah, very, yeah, very much so. And he kind of loops it around, and then it goes from you got your big drop of elevation from on. On number three, and then it kind of slowly kind of winds its way back up, uh, you know, snakes its way back up in a looping fashion all the way up to uh, to number nine and avoids what uh, it, you know, Mackenzie always called the, you know, there should be a variety of uh, undulation throughout the golf holes, but no hill climbing. And I would say Glen Eagles, you know, completely avoids that. Yeah. Um, but it's still, there's plenty of, side hill wise and that's that's one of the big tenets of the challenge out there uh those side hill wise uh you're trying to trying to keep your shot straight and in many times it's opposite you know of the way you'd want to work the ball into the green so you got to uh, the ball below your feet and it's going to push out uh, naturally to the right when the green is kind of doing the same thing, it's it's tilted from left to right, and you want to work the ball from right to left. Uh, it's very tough. Yeah, and that's actually a good good segue into the next part. You know, the greens themselves mm-hmm. uh, are are very good, and they're they've got a lot of variety to them for that period of time. A lot of courses you find from that era early 60s they're just they might be they might be steep and they might be quick especially at today's green speeds Mm -hmm. but they're pretty much all back to front yeah almost 100 percent a lot of times they'd be guarded by bunker left bunker right 
And you don't get that there at Glen Eagles. They, there are very few bunkers in the first place, for one. Uh, and still not that many. And you know, Eric DeLambert, the owner, changed them all, and we can get into that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's a variety of just left to right tilt. There's right to left tilt. There's even a little bit of uh, tilt away uh, on some of them. And thanks to uh, a, a renovation, they had a, they lost the greens in, in 2009 and had to had to resurface them. And thanks to a grassroots effort, you know, led by you know, Thomas Bastis of Cal Club among and George Waters uh, among many others, they were able to save the greens and regrass them to bent grass. And you know now that very slick, very true surfaces, and they really accentuate all those contours and tilts. So it's, uh, they, they hold your interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I know that I, I struggled mightily with them out there. I, <laughs> it was a new challenge on every single hole. Uh, uh, every time I've been out the Glen Eagles. So yeah, they, they were absolutely fantastic. And it is funny that you mentioned that at that point in time, it was so common to have a bunker front left and front right, you know, and, uh, I don't, I don't think there's a single golf hole out there where you have a bunker short left and short right of the green. Is there? Uh, I guess number uh, um, five does. Yeah, five kind of does. But even that, it's it's still kind of like offset a little bit where you the gap is, you know, you'd want to come in uh, mm. kind of from the left. So <clears throat> even that is, uh, you know, got some sort of interest you don't just want to be like right down the middle of the fairway necessarily right yeah it's a it's a really really special place man and uh you know even though this is a a podcast that is is more meant to serve as a as an evergreen um type of podcast i i think this is probably a a good place for us to kind of just jump in and you know we're recording this podcast brett obviously you know this but uh in the middle of the kind of COVID 19 pandemic um that is affecting everybody now in and out of the golf world uh, but Glen Eagles is actually one of those golf courses that is, um, can you explain this to me? Why, why isn't Glen Eagles financially supported by the city of San Francisco if it is in fact a city-owned golf course in the same way that all the other courses like Carding Park and Sharp Park and Lincoln Park and Golden Gate? I mean, why why does Glen Eagles not get that same uh, level of care as the other golf courses? Do you, do you, what, what, I, I don't quite understand. It's it's kind of a funny thing. It just It goes back... Really, it goes back like 90 years uh, to the point you know, where it was initially supposed to be built. It's just, it's like, it's just the city has never really wanted it. Um, it, it I mean, the like, the construction of it itself was delayed some 30 years. Mm-hmm. They, they had originally planned to do it back uh, in the 20s or 30s. Uh, and obviously, it wasn't built until 62. Uh, and they ran it for a while, uh, but eventually it got to the point where they just, they were going to close it. You know, it had been very neglected and they, um, uh, but somebody, uh, named Eric DeLambert kind of stepped in and was the, the hero of it. Um, he offered to lease it from the city and hmm. they said, okay, that's fine. As long as we don't have anything to do with it, uh, we'll still own it. You lease it and. You, know, you you take care of it, you fund it, do whatever. Um, so and it's just sort of stayed that way ever since, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Huh. Uh, yeah, 
it got to a point again where uh, the Lambert, you know, he was getting up in his years and didn't want to continue on taking care of it. And once again, it looked like it was going to close. But, uh, you know, another person named Tom Shea, who is still still there today, stepped in, proposed a, a, a lease and won it and has since been taking care of it, injecting uh, a lot of his own capital to improve it and maintain it. And um, that's pretty much still the same story. Yeah. And uh, it, as we mentioned, because of the pandemic and the, the shelter in place orders that have been put in place across uh, the country, but, you know, especially in the Bay Area, uh, Glen Eagles has been forced to, you know, it has been forced to close uh, until things can get resolved. Um, and because of that, and because they're not getting any financial assistance from the city of San Francisco, uh, it's more or less on, you know, unfortunately on, on Tom to sort of shoulder the financial burden. So um, he has reached out and, he, and they're accepting donations. So I want to take this opportunity to anybody listening that if they have the means to do so, um, to please try and make some sort of a donation or a contribution to Glen Eagles to keep it intact and keep it in place. Because uh, it, it's one of the, the finest pieces of uh, Jack, Fleming, Jack Fleming's legacy. It's a it's a golf course in a, in a neighborhood that, uh, sadly, does not get a lot of love um, in San Francisco. However, I'm pretty confident that uh, USC Buffalo Bills great uh, OJ Simpson grew up what like a block away from where the fifth tee is. Have you heard that? Yeah, I think OJ actually grew up in the other projects. Um, the, 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 the were the ones, ones that, that not the ones that are directly next to the golf course. I don't. I don't. I don't think it was the same ones. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I think I want to say uh, we're learning based on 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 the footage. Uh, um, from from the ESPN documentaries, uh, I think he was uh, in the ones uh, like up on that hillside. If you if you take a uh, two eighty around into the city where it filters out of the ballpark, you mm-hmm. can you can see him. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect. Okay. Right. So so very small, but, close but by. Any, the point stands. It's uh, it it's it's a very neglected yeah, neighborhood, it, unfortunately. It, it, yeah, it's a little bit of a rougher uh, rougher part of town. Um, mm-hmm. It's very close to the Cow Palace. You know, the former home of the of the Warriors. Um, but you know, like anything else, I'm sure at some point it'll get gentrified like, uh, the rest of the San Francisco peninsula has been. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's a great golf course that serves a very specific part of the golf community in the Bay area. Um, that is quite frankly, underserved, um, people that love, you know, great rugged golf with a great place, you know, to, to sit around and, you know, drink a couple pops after the round. It's just, it, it it's everything you'd want from a community golf course. And, uh, I, I would really encourage anybody listening to this, that if they haven't done so already, uh, and they have the means to do so to make uh, a small contribution or, or a large contribution for that matter, if, if you know, if you can uh, to Glenn Eagles. He has a GoFundMe page set up that I'm sure you could just uh, look up online. But also we're, we're actually putting out, you know, we, volume 23 of the new Pacific Coast Golf Guide is available right now, Brett. And because we don't have golf courses to deliver them to like normal, we've actually set up like a little thing where people can come make a five dollar donation on golfguide.net. And in doing so, we'll actually send that money to Glen Eagles and in return ship you uh, a new copy of the magazine. So there's there's another option for everybody out there uh, as well in, in case you want to uh, help support Glen Eagles and keep uh, keep this wonderful Jack Fleming golf course intact. Okay, uh, self-promotion uh, over. <laughs> Let, let's, jump back <laughs> in. let's jump back into it here. Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, the greens are fantastic. The routing is sensational uh, at Glen Eagles. Did you notice in your research, Brett, that did any of his other golf courses, uh, I guess Sierra View from a routing standpoint was great, but did any of the other work that you looked up for Jack Fleming, 
uh, remind you or kind of give you that same feeling that this is a really kind of cool and special place besides those two? Uh, well, admittedly, I still, I've probably only been to maybe a quarter or a third of, you know, his, his, uh, collection of work. Sure. Um, definitely noticed, uh, a lot of patterns within at least the stuff that's well-preserved. Um, so I, I can't really say that. One thing I will say is that I really like, uh, Golden Gate Park, uh, yeah. in the, in the city. That's, that is a very cool, fun little par three course tucked away and in, in, a, in a neat corner of the park too. Uh, and again, the, the routing of it is very good. It's way better than for, for a, for a par three course where, you know, the holes, you know, aren't that long. It's a very interesting routing that loops and kind of snakes its way around, you know, up and down these hills. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I know that, uh, most of my buddies, cause I, I don't know why uh, a lot of my best friends from like college weren't really ever big golfers. And you know, as they got into their late twenties, they just saw me going to all sorts of cool places and they just, you know, I'm obviously bothering them all the time. They should start picking up golf. And so uh, at the time, most of them lived in the city and Golden Gate Park was kind of where they started learning how to play golf. And that has honestly shaped their perception of what golf courses should be, where somehow, some way, even when I take them to a place like Bandon or we go somewhere else, their first instinct is to compare it to see if it's as good or better than Golden Gate Park, <laughs> which, which I think is just so awesome. But like, it, do, it does really speak to how special of a little place it is. And kind of in the same way that like a lot of people love Northwood, you know, up in Monterio, because obviously the golf course is incredible, but just the, the sense of place in Northwood is so special with all the towering redwoods. Yeah, definitely. That I think in a, in a different way, but in a similar capacity, like Golden Gate Park kind of has that special sense of place that you just kind of know you're somewhere really cool and special uh, when, when you're playing out there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, hey, you you got like the windmill, you know, that poking its yeah, head out here yeah. and there. You you got, you know, the ocean waves crashing. Um, it'd be, it, it's awesome. It'd be cool though to get like a kind of a peekaboo of the the ocean here or there. That 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 would I, be I, nice. At one point, they might have had that, you know, but uh, it's yeah, the trees have really kind of grown in thickly. Perhaps we'll have to speak with the parks director, Brett, and see if we can't uh, get a little bit of tree clearing out there uh, at the <laughs> west of the, at the golf course. That would be so awesome. Although something tells me that might make the golf course a little more crowded. Maybe. I don't so, know. That's so, uh, all right. J- jump into Jack. So, again, th- this is not to be uh, critical in any way, Brett, but this is something that I certainly have wondered. And you mentioned in your article that uh, a gentleman by the name of Patty Cole uh, was you know worked with Fleming and Mackenzie at Cypress Point. He, he was essentially the, as you referred to him, the artisan that uh, uh, worked on all the Cypress Point bunkers, giving them that you know that look that is so famous, uh, that kind of frilly edged, kind of natural blending uh, bunker aesthetic that so you know so many golf courses uh, utilize now. Um, if if he continued to work with Jack Fleming into the 1960s. What, do you have any guesses as to why we never saw a, an aesthetic like that in Jack Fleming's designs? Uh, yeah, I knew you were going to ask that, and <laughs> unfortunately, I, I don't really. It's yeah. one of the things I was really trying to find out specifically. Because um, I even I, I came across some old aerials of Glen Eagles um, from 63, I think. So the course would have been only a, a year old. 
And the bunkers there, very simple. Uh, pretty much kind of geometric ovals. Um, and uh, which is obviously a far cry from what you see at uh, at Cypress Point. Mm-hmm. So I I don't really know what the what the disconnect was. If it was just a you know stylistic thing, or you know, there's a very good chance it was uh, kind of just a a maintenance thing, a you know function over form. If at that point. Fleming had spent about 30 years in, in the parks department. So he, he had a pretty good handle on maintenance and what uh, the capabilities were for maintenance. And he might've just wanted something that was going to be easily maintainable. Uh, there's, that's a decent guess right there. But, uh, you know, I, I never got any hard information or anecdotes that kind of explained it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that angle of it, but I mean, I, I don't have the experience to be able to to say whether or not that is the case, but I mean, you certainly do. Is is a small, simple shaped kind of oval bunker the way that you're talking about? Would, I'm assuming that would be quite a bit easier to maintain than something uh, like you would see at a Cypress or a Pastiempo with the more natural frilly edge bunkers. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, especially from an evolution standpoint, um, I don't know if they had if they had a uh, machinery like a. You know, a little, they have little triplexes now. You just drop a rake and you can drive right in the bunker right. and spin around in, you know, a circle or whatever and, and be done. Uh, whereas, like, you know, something like Cypress Point or a lot of these kind of more intricate, flashed, uh, you know, rougher edge bunkers, they require a lot more hand raking. Uh, you kind of got to keep up on the edges a bit, too, uh, if they start getting overgrown or you, know, you got to kind of hand mow them. Uh, you know, with with uh, with weed whackers, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's a lot more handwork and maintenance. Yeah, versus something that's a bit more geometric. You can almost you can do more mechanically, and you don't have to train somebody to understand uh, sort of the artistry of it. You know, they can, they see it and they do it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so, it's but it, but it, it's not as it's not as interesting and not necessarily as challenging either. So. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, man, I, I, I know that now, correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, you have worked, uh, obviously you said you uh, interned at Glen Eagles a little bit, but you, you still in some capacity uh, kind of are there to help answer questions or consult if, if they need it at Glen Eagles, uh, even within the last couple of years? Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, actually, I started kind of uh, right around uh, the time that we last spoke, okay. um, kind of spending some time out there and... Uh, you know, talking with Tom and uh, just kind of giving him advice on, you know, what what we could do with uh, basically the golf course. Uh, what 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 are priorities? What what's possible? Um, and it's mostly a lot of it's trees. It's like, let's take that one. Let's try and thin this out. And uh, it's it's hard to do even the simplest of things there. I mean, they're just it's kind of in a constant loop of catching up on, you know, years and years of deferred maintenance, uh, what they call it, the you know, right. things brush piling up or kind of overgrowing or, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge just to do the simplest things. Yep. You know, just get it, get one tree taken down. Sure. That's and cool. usually he's got to kind of finagle and, you know, get it, get it kind of done on a almost volunteer, uh, you know, a, 
someone doing a favor for him. For sure. Uh, at that time, uh, and this is still the case, uh, I've been working with a, a union there, uh, one of the, the city work unions that helps train people, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who have been, you know, maybe uh, had a bit of trouble in their life and want to get back into the workforce. Uh, right there, kind of a you know on the far end of the site, um, and has been able to get some kind of free help from them in their in their trainings, uh, kind of clearing up some of that brush. And so we started talking about you know you know how how can we use them best. And at one point, we even had uh, kind of plans to you know renovate the bunkers maybe shift a couple of them around and overall reduce their footprint so that'd be a bit easier to maintain uh obviously we haven't been able to do that and uh right now it's just about staying alive just, and yeah, staying keeping open keeping the place yeah. open well i'll tell you what man if uh if we're lucky enough to have glen eagles uh survive what's going on right now and uh continue to operate when uh they're allowed to do so i my hope is that somehow, some way, between us and everybody else, that we raise enough money to not only keep it open, but maybe help Tom with a little bit of that deferred maintenance. So hopefully one day uh, we, we could turn Glen Eagles into the, the shining beacon of nine-hole public golf that I'm sure uh, Jack Fleming probably envisioned it being uh, yeah. when, when he had built it. Because it, it really is a special place, man. It's, uh, it's very, very cool. It is. And you know, sometimes you know, we talk about you know, kind of pie-in-the-sky things that you know doing a lot more. And it's like, I just keep coming back to you. Like, Tom, we really don't need to do much here like we could do everything we need to do for like like a quarter of some clubs annual improvement budgets like it's like we don't need much no I mean, it's, it, even including like like a bunker renovation like yeah we could do that we could do it for fairly cheap mm-hmm. uh yeah, obviously i'm going to volunteer all of my you know time and and efforts uh I was going to say, um, if, if you guys, uh, I'm, I'm going to make this promise right here on the podcast, Brett. So nobody, you know, nobody can, I, I can't, you know, neg on it all. If it somehow happens where a, a renovation project is taking place, I am putting my hand in the air as a volunteer, a, a you know, labor volunteer to come help and uh, put a shovel in my hand to help you do all that stuff. Because that, uh, that would be fantastic. That, that would be awesome. We, we, we'd love to have you out. That would and be. it'd be a lot of fun, too. Oh, yeah. But Life. yeah, it's, it's, oh. it's just, you uh, know. Maybe shift a couple bunkers around, which you know that's kind of more, you know, superfluous. It doesn't need to happen as much, but it would be nice. I think it helps strategically and make maintenance a bit easier. But uh, tree clearing, uh, for starters, just getting rid of all the stuff that's dead around the property and and even kind of hazardous. Uh, highlighting some of the, you know, there's a lot of great cypress trees on the property and just, just highlighting those and having those stand out, uh, you know, just firming up some of the areas around, uh, the approaches. Uh, w- one of the great things that we haven't talked about of the course is it's all mowed at one height, mm-hmm. uh, kind of an intermediate fairway cut. So, you know, it's all your, there's all sorts of kind of ground game shots, especially in the summertime. Uh, you know, around the greens, you know, you can, you can play bump and runs and keep it on the ground, uh, you know, when you miss and, and those are there's some, some really tricky shots. If you end up, if you end up on the wrong side of the green, oh my gosh, that's, yeah, you know, I make this comparison very lightly, but, uh, in some ways it kind of reminds me of uh, like a very small scale, very, very poor man's Augusta. And 
with the very slick, severe greens and short grass all around. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, those two elements, which I think are probably my favorite elements of Augusta are two very prominent elements at Glen Eagles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Aggreg- yeah. Aggregators out there. I just wanted to, yeah. con- you know, just confirm you just heard designer and architect, Brett Hochstein say that uh, Glen Eagles <laughs> is the Augusta national of the West coast aggregators out there. Go wild. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but no, I, 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 I totally agree with you, man. And that uh, any time that you get to be at a golf course where, uh, the, the ground is just as much in play and is probably the preferred way to get to the hole as opposed to, to putting it up in the air. Um, I'm going to have way more fun, and I think that's probably the case with the majority of the golfers out there. My normal co-host, uh, withstanding. <laughs> uh, Jess, that was a dig at you, by the way. Just just want to make sure you, you understood that. Um, yeah, man, so uh, real quick, Brett, as, as we kind of bring uh, bring this episode kind of to a, to a wrap, I, you know, if we're looking at Jack Fleming, you know, his work at Glen Eagles, obviously, but kind of more on as a whole, um, if you were, you know, sitting at the bar with some other buddies that work in the the design industry or kind of, uh, you know, your builders, architects, shapers, what have you, um, and the and the topic of a Jack Fleming came up, what what do you think would be kind of his legacy and sort of the, the, the things that you guys would, you know, kind of identify as some, some, you know, kind of his best work or kind of some of the things that he was really good at or I don't what what do you think his legacy should be within at least Northern California golf? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd probably first start talking about Glen Eagles, which we just did plenty of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, he, he's his contributions to Northern California, you know, were very strong. A lot of courses. Um, uh, I, I would say the number one thing is his championing of shorter or yes. more executive courses. Absolutely. Courses. That, 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 that was the one thing I forgot to mention before that I was hoping that you would mention there because it yeah. it, it's amazing how many nine-hole and shorter courses that he yeah. designed because it's something that's, as you mentioned in your article, is starting to become more and more popular today, mm-hmm. but it's something that it's just there's such a shortage of. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Everywhere. So the fact that he was such a proponent uh, of golf courses that were more friendly to beginners, I, it's just so awesome, man. I, I wish there were more Jack Fleming's like that today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, about half of his catalog is, I think I counted 17 of his courses uh, out of like the 30-something. Wow. Uh, are nine-holers. And a number of those are like Golden Gate Parker of the shorter variety. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, he had the foresight to, you know, see that, uh, you know, land in the Bay Area was going to be scarce and, you know, but we still need to have golf uh, as a as a recreation option. And so he saw nine holers as a, as a great, you know, kind of middle ground for that. And as well as, you know, a way for beginners to take up the game, which is, you know, perfect. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, yeah. Amazing. The, the proponent of the short course and just to kind of mention them out there for everybody, uh, just in, you know, if, if I have a copy of volume 22 of, of golf guide magazine with right now, some of his notable nine hole designs in Northern California by the way, I can tell you, I've actually been to all of these, and they're all fantastic. Between Golden Gate Park, uh, Glen Eagles, Adam Springs up in Lake County is sneaky good. And uh, I, I actually had uh, their their general manager, John Barry, uh, on for an episode of Highly Technical Golf Talk uh, just a month or two ago, and he was fantastic. He, uh, he, he's got a little bit of knowledge about Jack Fleming as well. So maybe, I, I think at some point, Brett, you and I are going to be due to head up to Adam Springs for, for a long day of of yeah. golf and, and chat with John Barry because I think that would be uh, really fun for us as well. 
That's uh, a place I've wanted to check out since you've uh, mentioned it. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, Adam Springs is great. The Fleming course at Harding Park. The Fleming, that nine-hole Fleming course at Harding Park, um, if you ask a lot of locals, like I, I'm friends with uh, Joe Shasky, who who does a radio show on 95.7 yep. The Game, um, and he, he kind of says, you know, listen, Glen Eagles and the Fleming course at Harding Park, those are the true local courses now. Like if you want to go and you want to find a money game, hanging out with people in the city who live in the city, that those are the two courses that they're at. And uh, they yeah. they're both Jack Fleming courses because, you know, uh, for them, unfortunately, you know, they're a little bit, you know, they, even with the city fees, they can't really afford to go drop 75 bucks to play Harding every, every Saturday. So for them, they go, they go to Fleming and honestly, even Joe's kind of like, listen, man, like it's, it, it's just as good. It might be like I have just as much fun, if not more fun, play, playing the Fleming course as I do some of the other ones. So it's a uh, really, really cool places that I, the fact that Jack Fleming is responsible for creating golf courses that like Glen Eagles or the Fleming course that are really the grassroots, you know, of the game in terms of attracting golfers that are just there just to play uh, more so than, you know, checking something off a list or to kind of experience something that's really not, they're just out there to just to play golf and, if Jack Fleming is is connected with that sort of golf, then uh, you know, tip of the cap to Jack. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, man. Any other uh, any thoughts or, or 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 things you wanted to share with uh or with our listening audience before we we put a wrap on this? Uh, may I you know just say fantastic Jack Fleming podcast we've done. I don't think so. I think we covered pretty good ground. Yeah. Yeah, awesome stuff. Well, uh, I, I know he's passed, so you know, rest in peace, Jack Fleming. Uh, you've left quite a legacy on golf in Northern California, and uh, golfers around this area are forever grateful uh, for your contribution to the game. Perfect. Brett, thank you so much for your time, man. really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, you got it. All right, once again, a big thank you to Brett for uh, taking the time to talk all about Jack Fleming. Um, really interesting stuff. I, I feel like I now want to go uh, make a little checklist and see if I can hit as many Jack Fleming courses across Northern California as possible. That'd be a fun little game to play once uh, once golf is allowed to uh, yeah allowed to happen without much uh, interference. So anyway, I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you, your family, your friends are well and healthy in this uh, very strange time. And I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And a big shout out to my friend, The Broiler, for providing us with all this wonderful music we like to enjoy. So until next time, everybody, thanks so much.